0: Hi, and welcome again to Incarnation. I'm Katie, and I'm a deacon here. Um, I want to begin by reminding everyone that we're in the middle, or actually coming to the end of a long series on power. We've been looking at God's power manifest in his love, in his creation. Last week, we looked at his power in healing, and this week, we're going to look at his power in the church. But before we get started, I have a question for all the kids here. But I'm going to start by saying something to each of you, which is this. You are members of the body, and we need each of you to grow into the gifts that God has already placed into you. Now, some of you have probably had teachers or parents who have told you about things that you are really good at. Things like, I've noticed that you're kind. I know that you're loving. I've noticed that you're patient. And so while I'm talking, I want you to think about those things that you are good at, those things that people have told you that they admire about you. And I want you to imagine how you might use those gifts in our church. And if you have a chance after the service, I want you to take some time to talk to your parents or maybe some friends or a teacher about what your gifts are and how you might use those to serve this body. And so now we're going to talk about God's power in the church. So I'm going to be honest to start. (laughs) Some days I want to opt out of the church. I just want to walk away, even though I wear a collar, right? There's days that I just want to throw up my hands and walk away. It has been so painful in this election season. I know for many of you, but I can say for me, It's been really painful to watch believers bite and tear at each other, right? The things we've seen Christians say about each other, about people who are outside the church. It's been really painful to watch and hear non-Christian friends who have some familiarity with the life of Christ to point out when they don't see Christians living like they think Christ would have lived. And it is always disappointing when you watch Christian leaders that you've admired or trusted fall into sin and have to resign from their positions. Some days, especially right now, it can feel so exhausting. And I know I'm not the only one who some days just feels like it would be easier to give up. And I want to sometimes say, I don't need this. I don't need the messiness of the church. I'm just fine following Jesus on my own. I can sit in my room and I can read my Bible. I don't need this. And in fact, some days if I'm honest, if I'm feeling especially prideful, I can think to myself, actually, I think I could do better, right? I can do better than this. But here's the truth. That is not the way things are. It's not the way we have been made as people, and that's not how God has made his church. Because whether or not, in our wisdom, we would have chosen differently, the church is the way that God has chosen. We're his instrument to redeem the world. He's entrusted his church with the great task of his good news, and taking that good news to the whole rest of the world. And God's reign, his recreation of everything he's made, is meant to begin in the church. We're meant to be a picture for the rest of the world of what it looks like when God is king. And that reign is meant to spill out into every street and every corner of this world. God has chosen to place his immeasurable gift his all-surpassing power into us, the fragile jars of clay we see around us. And in that way, St. Paul says, God has demonstrated that his power to heal, to redeem, to restore, to save, doesn't come from us. It's not us. It is him working through and in us. God has chosen to entrust his salvation to those that the world sees as weak and foolish and shameful, and sometimes we are those things. As foolishness to the world is the fact that God has entrusted his gospel to us. And in baptism, when we're baptized into the church, we receive his Holy Spirit so that his life and his light can shine out of us, but here's the other part. When you are baptized, you become a member of this, right? You become a member of the body. And I sometimes think we want the first half without the second half, right? We want God's spirit to abide in us, but we don't always want this. And the thing that the church has always said is that those things are inseparable. You cannot have, as Cyprian of Carthage said, he cannot, you cannot have... God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. And you can't have Christ as your elder brother unless you accept all of these as your brothers and sisters too. And this goes all the way back to creation. In creation, God made us social creatures, right? He put us into families and communities. So it's built into who we are and we cannot escape it. And there's no surprise that the order that God has set into creation would flow into his church? And so what Paul says is that when anyone, when any one of us suffers or falls into sin, those ripples go out into the entire community, right? Think about when you hear of someone here at Incarnation who's sick or lost their job. Those ripples go out. We all feel it. And when there's part of us that is falling into despair and sadness, we all feel We all feel that. We all feel when people cut themselves off from the church, when people aren't functioning and giving the way that they could. We all suffer. And when the church doesn't love what is right, when it doesn't seek the common good of all, when it doesn't seek to correct injustices that it sees, then the strength and the witness of the entire church worldwide is diminished in some way. We need each other to be Christ's body. We cannot be the body on our own. And we cannot say, I do not need you, because that's not true. The eye doesn't always see the world clearly, right? It needs others to help the perspectives of others to make sure that its vision isn't clouded by jealousy or fear or pride. And let's be honest, our feet Don't always move and run towards justice and loving mercy. Sometimes, if we're really honest, we're paralyzed by doubt and fear, and we need our brothers and sisters to prompt us to take action when it's within our grasp. I need my brothers and sisters to remind me to keep feeding and clothing my neighbors around me who really need me right now. I need the church to remind me to speak about Jesus to my neighbors, even when it's really hard, and I'd rather just shut my door. Because God, in his wisdom, hasn't poured all his gifts into one person, or even into an elite group of super-Christians, right? Rather, he's placed each of us in just the places that he wants us to be. He's placed you in incarnation in Arlington, Virginia, in Washington, D. outside of Washington, D.C., in the United States, right now there's no accident he's placed all of us exactly where he wants us to be and there's no more or less important gifts right we're all necessary so I need and you need gifts of mercy and service and encouragement and prophecy we need to all exercise the gifts we're given and we need to honor the gifts and abilities of every person we can't go it alone And as frustrated and disappointed as we all might be, especially right now, with the words and actions of fellow Christians, maybe even those that are closest to us, we cannot withdraw. We cannot leave the church. Because where the church is, that is where the Spirit of God dwells. And each of us are charged with upholding the unity of the church and the unity of the Spirit to the extent that we can. Our call in the midst of conflict and division, in the midst of sorrow and despair, is to pursue Paul's more excellent way, which is the way of love. It is this divine love that resides in each of us, that corrects the church when it's in error. It's the divine love of God that melts the hearts of sinners. It's divine love that allows the church to respond with patience and kindness towards its own members and those who are outside the church. I'm not saying, and I don't want you to hear this, that there isn't a place for confronting grave sins and injustices. But the love of God must begin with us. We must begin by infusing our conversations and actions with truthfulness, with patience, with kindness, with gentleness. For these are the fruit, they're the witness that God is at work within us. I used to spend a lot of time professionally in my other life thinking a lot about questions of why people don't um, assist each other in times of turmoil and conflict. I spent my previous life, I spent a lot of um, time in post-conflict environments So picking up the pieces after wars had happened. And um, I was always asking the question of why did this happen, right? Why did neighbors turn against neighbors? And I found the work of this woman, um, Kristen Monroe, Dr. Kristen Monroe, to be really helpful. And I don't want you to be thrown off by this title and think, oh, it doesn't apply to us, because I actually think it does. But she wrote this book that I found really profound, which was called Ethics in an Age of Terror and Genocide, which we're not in the middle of terror and genocide. But... In it, she talks about how even in times of social friction, your sense of connectedness to another person actually determines how obligated you feel to to help another person, right? So if you don't feel any sense of connection, so if I don't think there's any relationship between Liz and I, then I feel no obligation to help her if she drops her groceries in the parking lot, if I see her in distress at the workplace, if I don't see myself as being in relationship with her, then I'm very unlikely to step in and help her. And so what she says in her book is that it was those in places of great social conflict who felt the most connected to another person by their common humanity that, that were the most compelled and were most inclined to take action to help another person, even when it put their own family at risk. So she was talking to people in post-genocide environments and saying, why did you step in even though it cost you everything? And people said, because I couldn't not help, because I was connected to this person. And what she found was that when you're at those moments of decision, right, when you see the person in need, the thing that makes the most difference is not whether you know the right thing to do. Like, so... I see someone crying. Should I go over and say, hello? should I go and check how they're doing? It wasn't whether you knew the right thing to do, it was whether you believed that ob- your relationship with them obligated you to do something. And here's where the rubber hits the road for people in the church we know that we belong to each other because we are knit together in Christ's body. We know we belong to each other because we know that we have been given the commission of God to go out into the world and to witness to his love. So we know that we are in relationship with one another. What I'm suggesting is that we need to let that identity, as the body of Christ, we need to allow it to constrain us, to constrict our actions, and we also need it to set us free. It needs to be the defining identity of our lives. Because I think if we see ourselves as knit together, inseparably with one another, that totally changes how you see your relationships with those that you might not naturally be inclined to assist or to be in conversation with. And perhaps what would happen is that we wouldn't so easily allow our differences with one another to sever our connective tissues or to cloud our desire to keep working and wrestling together. Especially right now, it is really tempting to just slip away, right? To turn off your Zoom screen, to not come at all, to just slip away. It's really easy, I do it. It's easy to escape into pride or contempt for those who I don't like, to slip into isolation or despair. But we must not become weary of doing good. We must not become weary of feeling responsible for each other and for this well-being of this place that we call our home. This means we have to pay attention to what is happening to those around us, and we have to respond to that burden of belonging. because someday, someday when we have not given up and not despaired, we will reap a good harvest, as Paul says. Perhaps you won't reap the harvest in this life, but we certainly will in the life to come when the quality of your work, when the quality of your investment in those around you is revealed for all to see. And so I pray for each of us that we would be able to step out into those places of discomfort, that we would see ourselves in relationship to one another. We're going to move into a time of silent reflection right now. And I, um, I'm going to invite you to think, to call to mind, the person that you have had the most friction and conflict with recently, whether in your workplace, in the church, in your family, that person that just burns you up with anger, that just gets on your nerves. And I want you to pray for them. Maybe pray that God would help you to love them as he does. Pray that God would help you to see their gifts the way that he does. And perhaps pray that God would help you to not grow weary in doing good.